Women aren't born warriors, we become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week I'm interviewing women who through tragedy and triumph are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Have you ever dreamed of having your own podcast? I did, and I launched it, but I couldn't have done it by myself. I worked with Becky Harrington. BH Marketing saved me. They helped me launch my dream podcast. They helped me develop it, brand it, record it, publish it, and even promote it. If you're curious about launching your own podcast, look no further than BH Marketing. That's bhmarketingfirm.com. And tell them that Liz sent you. Use code WARRIOR for your special discount. Well, guys, the election is almost here, and I've been writing my postcards to swing states, and I'm about to put them in the mail, but the election is upon us, and although I try not to be political, I cannot help myself today. I'm talking to an incredible warrior woman today, and we are going to talk about white privilege, white supremacy, Donald Trump, and how to practice soul care. Buckle up for this one, you guys. But first, have you left us a positive review on this podcast? Please do. It'll move us up in the rankings and let more people know about us. On to our sponsor. Our sponsor today is Molly and Lily, founded by Joanne Lord, our first podcast guest. Molly and Lily makes gorgeous vegan leather handbags. And this season, she has the ultimate hands-free crossbody bag that holds your phone, credit cards, lip gloss, and AirPods. Perfect as a gift or for yourself. Get this new crossbody at mollyandlily.com or nordstrom.com. Today, I am thrilled to be talking to Maisha T. Hill. Maisha is a mental health advocate, a social entrepreneur, and an advocate for healing and social transformation. She is the founder of Check Your Privilege, which uses self-compassion practices and reflection to help white folks step back reflect, and compassionately dismantle their relationship with power, privilege, and oppression. She is the founder of Brown Sisters Speak, which facilitates wellness workshops and peer support groups with Black, Brown, and Indigenous women. And she is a single mom of three, three differently abled children. I love the way you say that, by the way, Maisha. Three differently abled children, and I mean, and is obviously a warrior woman. So Maisha... Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be in community with you. Oh, I'm so excited to have you today. I have been, I was kind of telling you, I was like kind of stalking you for a while. I had heard you on a podcast. Then I saw all the things you were doing and I was like, oh, I hope she'll come on the show. So I'm so grateful to you for coming. So thank you so much. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. All right, Marisha. So I feel like the work you're doing is really, really important. And I'm a huge believer that there actually is no such thing as work-life balance. I think that is a complete bullshit thing. And I don't know where people get this thing from. I know you kind of agree and you believe in kind of more of a life synergy. Can you tell me what that means? I love that idea, that life synergy, that this could actually be a good thing. (laughs) Right. Oh, you know, the more I've done this work, I I realized that synergy is almost like the word that we use in racial justice, intersectionality. Sometimes we have grown into these like social constructs of success. So we're like, I need this work-life balance to feel successful, but it's a myth. It doesn't exist. 
Um, and it supports us being over producers and over consumers in the world we live in. And so with Synergy, you know, it's this idea that we get greater results by combining the many aspects of our humanity versus separating them as different things and different tasks to keep us on the hamster wheel of success. And so it's basically this combination that you get greater results when you look at life as a whole versus life as separate parts. And so when I think about living a synergistic lifestyle, it's how am I encompassing my myself first, right? Because you can't care for anyone else if you don't have the oxygen mask on yourself. 100%. And then what are the aspects of my life and business that I need to bring into my full self and my humanity to thrive in the world? And so what does it mean to have synergy in your day? You know, what's your rhythm? What's your self-care? So that's you first. What's one thing? What's one idea you have that you can work on in your life? And what's one idea or thing you can work on your business? And how do you not add a new thing the next day until that thing is done? Because what tends to happen in life and when we work outside of synergy, we're just adding more things on our to-do list. We're just being like energizer bunnies all the time. But when you think of your life in terms of synergy, you're thinking, okay, I can only do one thing well, and I can only do one good thing at a time. So I need to look at myself as being self-care, so care me first, and then adding those other things that I do need to get done to create greater results and, and produce a sense of wholeness in my daily routines. I remember I was working with a therapist at one time and she said, I said something like, well, I feel like I, I hit like 80% of the things I need to do in a day and it just doesn't feel like enough. And she's like, if you are hitting 80%, lady, calm down, like let it go. Like, I, you know, and yeah. I think we are very hard on ourselves like as women, especially because we are, we do tend to multitask because we feel like that's the only way to kind of survive and we're on the hamster wheel. So I love this idea of you can only do one thing well, because it's kind of true. Like you really can't, multitasking is really not true. You really cannot do things at once. You really need, you really only can do one thing at a time, at least well. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. How, how do you do this? How do you bring this into your life? Because your life has a lot in it. So I want to know specifically you, and we're going to get into all the things you do, but, and people are going to know how much this is insane if you can achieve this, this synergy. But how do you do that? How do you put that kind of synergy into practice? Do you say no to a lot of things? Do you like, how do you, what do you do? Well, number one is I have a team of a team players, right? So it's not just me right? I have assistants. I have a partner. Now, you know, I'm still a single mom, but I have a partner. My children are growing and like, they know their routines. And so how do I do it? We establish family rhythms. So that means that I have to get up a little bit earlier than my children and put me first. That means taking a soul bath. I take a bath in the morning. I take a bath at night. That's how you put yourself first. Like when you put your kids to bed, get off the electronics and take a, do something else. I like the idea in the morning, though. This is even like setting yourself up for success through the day. Absolutely. You're setting your rhythm. You're, you're not, you're in alignment. So that means like, you know, I had the habit and I'm, I'm breaking the addiction of my cell phone. I used to just get on my phone and scroll. And now it's like, nope, get up, get in the bath, set my day. So I give myself 30, 45 minutes in the bath. I listen to my meditation music. Sometimes I listen to BTS. Um, but it's my self-care. It's my self-care. I get out, um, and then I get the kids going and the kids have a rhythm and 
you know, I have an administrative day in my business. So I know that the rhythm of that day is admin. I have a specific day of the week where I do podcast recordings and guest appearances. That's part of that rhythm. I just, I think because I have the knowing, I just go with that flow. Right. And so it's never perfect. There are days where I'm back to back to back to back. And I'm like, oh shit, that's not my synergy. But guess what? I know I'm taking a bath at night. I know I have some sort of self-care, soul care practice at night so I can forgive myself and try again the next day. So it looks like soul care in the morning, breakfast with the kids, with the family, getting on calls, getting them COVID schooling. COVID schooling is a hot mess. Sometimes they make the Zoom, sometimes they don't. Oh my God. The way Synergy works for me in my life and business is there are specific days where I do specific tasks for both. And so I just work in my Synergy there. I work between nine and five. After five o'clock, it's strictly family or six. 10 and six, we just changed it. After six o'clock, it's specific for family. It's funny, you, you're mentioning some things because I, I talk to a lot of CEOs and women who own businesses and there's a couple things you mentioned that they have all mentioned too, which makes me understand there's this through line to like a successful business, which is you decide when your day starts and ends. Mm-hmm. You control the flow of your day. Yes. And, and I love that you're saying soul care instead of self-care because that brings it I think some women think self-care is like getting your nails done. And I'm not saying getting your nails done is a terrible thing. My God, I'd like to have my nails done. They look like hell. But but I think it's more than that, right? It's soul care. Soul care is a whole other level of taking care of yourself. So I love that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to switch gears because I cannot ignore the elephant, elephant man in the room. Um, we recently watched Donald Trump fail to denounce white supremacy. Mm-hmm. I've heard you say that moving towards allyship is not enough, that we need to be a co-conspirator. Can you explain like what that means? Absolutely. So, you know, allyship, in my opinion, um, it's a, a term that you can ascribe to yourself just by taking action or signing a petition for Black Lives, right? So it's a self-ascribed title that many white and white-passing individuals give themselves to feel like they're fighting and standing up for racial justice, Co-conspiratorship requires something different. It requires you to not only become aware and listen and learn, right, but also center Black and Brown and Indigenous and Southeast Asian women leaders and educators as the expert in your experience. So that means that you're going to get yourself in alignment with women of color, men of color, who are actually leading the charge against racism in America. Um, It means centering their work, centering their education, centering your experience with them leading you in your efforts. Um, Co-conspirators are also willing to go deep because they understand that it's soul work. You know, a lot of people aren't ready to go as deep as some of the women that we work with and men, women and men that we work with in our organization. They want a quick fix. That's what society has promised to us. Like we're going to solve racism in a day. Like when Barack Obama was elected, it was a post-racial America. During post-racial America, we had Trayvon Martin, we had Mike Brown, we had the resistance that happened when Mike Brown was murdered. And so co-conspirators know that the call to action is not just a one-and-done action. They know that it's soul-level work. They're committed to allowing Black and Brown leaders guide them in their journey, and they're committed to behavior change and transformation in the process. Yeah, I think, you know what, I think the white people might've been in love with the allyship word because the allyship word made us feel good. Like I'm doing some things. I keep telling my friends like, this is not going anywhere. 
Like, I know you did some things, but we're going to have to keep doing things. We can't, it's not stopping. Like, obviously it's still going on. We have to do something. We can't, mm-hmm. we can't rest. We have to keep going. But anyway, yep. tell me about Check Your Privilege. So you found a Check Your Privilege. Tell me about the work you're doing there. Absolutely. So we started two and a half years ago. I had an interaction with a friend. My friends of color, like throw white people away. And I was like, no, like, come on guys, for real. Like if we keep throwing them away, if we keep canceling them, it's just going to keep happening. And so for me, it was part of a healing journey. And so what we do there is that we offer a membership space, like a Patreon and courses and workshops to help white folks unpack their relationship with power, privilege, and systems of domination. Um, We also have an anthology series in partnership with Dirt Path Publishing, which is basically, we're calling it chicken soup for the soul for anti-racists. I like that. So the the book comes with, there's a journal, a, a course also called Niche Down Your Journey to help folks on their anti-racism journey. Um, And then there's also a new book coming out here in November, Check Your Privilege, Lean Into Discomfort. So we have a series of free and paid resources for folks who really want to work on their relationship, again, with the systems of domination. I, you know, I had talked to this amazing woman. Her name is Dr. Fran Bates-Oates, and she's going to be, I don't know if she's on the podcast before or after you, but anyway, she runs these amazing workshops. She said, when is the first time you knew you were white? Mm. And I literally was like, that no one's ever asked me that question before. And I told her this whole story. I had a pen pal I, and, and she was in New York city. So I lived in Westchester and I, I had this pen pal and the picture came and she was black and I freaked out. I was so excited. I was like, Oh my God. She's black. Like I was thrilled because I never had a black friend. So then I was like, wanted to know everything about her. I like asked her all these questions and she was asking me all these questions. And then it was the day we had to go see each other. And here comes all these white kids coming into this school and everybody was silent, like terrified. Like no one said a word, right? And then within five minutes, everyone was like, but you're the kid I do the pin pal stuff with. I know you, fine. And then everyone was talking and it was amazing. So that was the first time I knew I was white. And it was a positive thing in, in right. my mind. And right. I, my God, there's a lot of people who don't have that positive feeling that their, their first time of knowing they were white is something negative, something terrible. Exactly. Mine, is a, mine was really positive. And I was like, and she said, that's why I asked that question because a lot of people are operating from that place. Like, exactly. oh, I knew I was white because a cop killed my dad. I knew I was white because... You know, my dad said a lot of racist things in my house and it terrified me because I didn't know what that meant. You know, I mean, it's interesting. People have different, I I think it's important to ask yourself that question, but I'm I'm curious, what is the thing that you think surprises white people the most when they take your courses? Oh man, I think the one thing that surprises them is they didn't realize that whiteness is a culture, that it's actually an identity. Yes. When we, that's every workshop. We try to talk about aspects and assumptions of white culture in the United States, which is work from Judith Katz. Um, and they're like, wait, what do you mean? And I'm like, whiteness, white is a culture. White is an identity. Um, and because white and whiteness is so normalized, I think that's the one thing that shocks folks. And then we spend time unpacking what that means for them and how they've incorporated that sense of whiteness, those characteristics in their life but in particularly in relationships with Black folks. It's a very interesting concept. Yeah, I, I have to tell you, I, I'm reading Stamped from the beginning, and I'm telling you, I, 
I'm taking my time because it is so dense for me. I really have to like not try to gloss over it. I really like sit there and really like read it. And that was when I realized I was taught white history. I was like, what the fuck is all of this? I literally, my head popped off. I was like, what? Like half the things that they taught me are bullshit. I was like so shocked yep. out of my mind. It's and crazy. That is, like what I was, that is what I know to be true. That is what my whole life was. I mean, I was like, well, there's only one black person who's ever done anything important. It's Martin Luther King. There's nobody else. And then I was like, hold on. How can that be true? There's only one black person in all of history? That's oh my, yeah. Crazy? Yeah, every month in February, I check your privilege. You do a Black History Month challenge because there are so many amazing Black inventors. Last month, last year, we focused on women um, when we did it. Like people didn't know like a Black woman invented. It's like a part, like a, like a part that goes in a rocket ship? No. There, there's a Black woman that basically created the technology for cell phones. There is... I mean, we can talk about Henrietta Lacks, right? She gave one of the greatest contributions to American science as it is, although they did not compensate her and her family for the way they stole her blood cells. But her blood cells have have created cures for so many diseases that are effective to the modern man. Henrietta Lacks is her name. But she is someone that you don't learn about in history. Our history as Black people have been erased and whitewashed. Absolutely. And I don't even know if that's really that different. I mean... Now they do Black History Month, but I don't feel like they have mainstreamed that. Like, I don't see, I mean, I definitely see my kids, it's more than what I had. It's definitely not as whitewashed as mine was, but I don't know that it's gone far enough. Well, absolutely. Like, we don't, we don't, we don't, we learn about the basic, I'm going to, I think it's the basic five is what I call it in that in American history. And that's Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks. Who else is there? Maya Angelou, right? We talk about poets. Hen- yeah. Henrietta Lacks is not even that. No, we didn't even I, know, I don't even know who that is. Harriet Tubman, who yeah. helped free the slaves. It's so whitewashed. Like you don't know about, we don't talk about um, Angela Davis. We don't talk about uh, Sister Rosetta Tharp. She's the grandmother of rock and roll, but you wouldn't know that. We don't talk about Daisy Bates, who was a civil rights hero. We don't, we, we don't talk about these women and these men who made exceptional contributions to history. Because the one thing about rock and roll, let's be honest, is that it was founded in Black culture, but we want to call Elvis the king of rock and roll. But it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. And I saw you're doing a course on music, but we'll talk about that at the end. So tell me, one of the courses you teach, I'm interested in this, is about creating equity with people of color. Tell me what that means, because I never heard that. Quit creating equity. Creating equity? Yeah. Yeah. So we have a course that we do three times a year with um, Eliana Constanza called Check Your Privilege, Create Equity, right? And so equity refers to proportional representation across race, class, and gender for the same opportunities. So when we think about equity, we don't think about the glass ceiling that Black women and white women hit when it comes to competing for competitive jobs in a corporate setting, right? So when we think about equity, it's like an even playing field. There's representation across race, class, and gender. Everyone can go for the same opportunities, Equality is defined as people having access to the same opportunities, but equity is that proportional representation to those opportunities. So in an organization that is, I'll say multi-ethnic, you will see a white male, a black woman, an Asian male, an Asian woman, and a white woman holding positions of power. 
right? When you say equality, you might see a head white male CEO, a female vice president, a black operations director, right? But you won't see the even amount across. You won't see anyone who is in the LGBTQ plus community. So equality is everyone has access to it, but equity is everyone has access and has a seat at the table for those opportunities. Okay. That makes me understand it much better. Thank you. We are hearing so much about white fragility, but when I was looking at your site, you were talking about how how white fragility can be guised as feminism. And I was like, ah, God. So I want to to talk about this for my listeners because we, you know, we are some warrior women and I want to, I want to make sure that we are being co-conspirators and not being the people who are guising at feminism or or white fragility. Absolutely. So I'm going to start by saying this, the way that powerful white men treat white women is the way that white women who identify as feminists treat women of color. So if you are a white woman and you have been in the corporate setting or even in the entrepreneurial space, you've experienced bias and some forms of manipulation and abuse by white men. And that looks like when you speak your truth, when you say how you feel, and you know what? We just saw this at the debate, right? How women are too emotional. Oh, I can't with this. How men often tell white women, oh, you're not experiencing that. That didn't really happen. How we minimize the experience and the opportunities for white men, you can do this for white women. Well, white feminists do the same thing. And feminism is known for keeping black and brown women at the back of the line. You can just call it what it is, right? Where black women do not have equal seats at the table in the white feminist movement. It's very toxic and it's very rooted in the suffragist movement. The women's suffragist movement, everyone is so excited about that uh, 19th Amendment. And you don't recognize and realize how racist Susan B. Anthony really is. When the women went to go uh, in Washington in March, the Black women who were fighting for voting rights were actually asked to stand in the back because it wouldn't be a good look for the suffragist movement for Black women to be seen with white women. Time and time again, when Black and white women worked together, and you saw this in the 60s in the, with the feminist movement, you know, Black and white women were in this fight together. But as soon as the glass ceiling broke, for white women, black and brown women were left behind. You can see this with, I think it's sad, Bell Hooks speaks a lot about this, how it's rooted in the black woman's experience, but white women have taken that and, and made it their own call to liberation. And when black women call white women out on this, we're often gaslighted into silence for speaking our truth. The same ways in which white men do to white women when they speak their truth. And when black women speak their truth, that's when white fragility shows up where the notion of, well, I'm not racist and I didn't say that and maybe you're hearing things or you're overreacting is very harmful to one's mental and emotional health. That's a good correlation to mention white men because definitely women understand that feeling of having a man kind of feel like they're dominating or taking something you're saying and totally turning it into a different direction or taking credit for something that's not their own or all that stuff. We've all, I mean, I don't know a woman at all that hasn't experienced that. So that's a, that's a good way to look at it. What do you think the answer is that? How can we come together on that? Is it that we need to reimagine it? Like, how does that, how do we, I mean, that's a big question. And God that's knows we can't, we, can't, we can't solve all the world's problems. We can't solve podcast. all the world problems in one podcast. I mean, we, we're going to do it though. No, I'm just, no, we're not. We're not going to do it. But, but what, what would you say is a step we could take in the right direction if, if there is an, even as one? A couple of steps that you specifically want to take is stop expecting 
Black exceptionalism, that Black women will be intellectual, Black women will be academic, Black women will be palatable. Stop expecting Black women to speak the dominant culture language, right? Accept Black women for the human, our humanity, for who we are. We are not perfect. We are not always going to speak the common English. We are not always academic, right? Take a step back. Let Black women lead as feminists. Let Black women do labor and you do emotional labor for Black women and not the other way around. So there's this notion of stepping back so that Black women and other women of color can step forward. Yeah, I love that. And I have to tell you, I one thing I have learned from my friend Natasha, who came on the podcast, and she was the first person I kind of said, can you come to the podcast and talk about race? And I know this is a weird, uncomfortable thing, but would you do that? And she was really gracious and did it. But one of the things I've realized is that when these things happen, like when you see Donald Trump denounce, just not even acknowledge white supremacy, not denounce it, all, not even say, no, that's wrong. Like not stop it at all. I texted her and I said, how are you? Are you Okay. Because I, I didn't look at, at it like that before. I, I just used to look at it and be like, what a jackass. You know, like I knew it was, he was an asshole, but I wasn't like checking on people and thinking like, oh my God, how would I feel if I was black? I would be like terrified. Like what is happening? I'm terrified for my country, but I'm not even black. If I'm black, then I'm, I can't, you know, so I now realize you really have to look at it from another person's, like what they're really seeing. She really taught me that. So I'm, I'm, super, yeah. I'm super grateful to her for that. Tell me about your work with Brown Sisters Speak. How did that begin? It was birthed while I was hospitalized for postpartum psychosis and suicidal ideation with plan. I spent seven days in a mental health institution. And then I told my pastor I would create a thing for Black women to speak openly about it, their mental health. So back in 2016, I was like a college project from my social entrepreneurship class where I would walk around Oakland, California and hand out little packets of self-care items and mental health resources for Black women that then evolved. I was challenged to go deeper, um, got a fiscal sponsor. We started telling our stories online in 2016, 2017. It developed then into community events and what we call Sister Circle, which is a sort of Justice Community Circle for Black and Brown and Indigenous women to speak their truth. And now it's even evolved now. Here we are in 2020 where we have a therapy stipend where we pay for up to 12 weeks of therapy for Black, Brown, Indigenous, Southeast Asian and Asian women, men and children. And it came from a story of my own pain, my own story of not feeling like I had a safe space to talk openly about feeling depressed or anxious, my own struggle with suicidal ideation and suicidal attempts. I've had two, two of them while being a mom, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it was birthed from that pain. Stop, that's not going to stop it, right? Right, right. It's not going to stop it. But yeah, it was birthed from that sense of pain. My life story has been paying to power and inspiring other folks to do the same. First of all, I really commend you for, for doing that. I, I think that, I think therapy is stigmatized. Although if you're white, like it's cool to have a therapist, mm-hmm. I mean, right? Like it's cool to have a therapist. Like, oh, my it's cool. It's cool, but then there's also access, right? Because there's a lot of white folks don't have that financial barrier to accessing a 100%. therapist. But is there a stigma that you think in the, in the, Okay, so tell me, tell me about. Yeah, I mean, one in three, one in three Black Americans get support for their mental health. Like we're still therapists and coaches and healers are still destigmatizing it in Black, Brown, and Indigenous communities. Mm. 
Yeah. And we're, and if we don't know our ancestral lineage, like our ancestors knew about healing and the importance of social and emotional communal support and healing, but living in this racist country, (laughs) when our white counterparts have access to tools and resources, we are disproportionately left out. And I believe it's actually intentional due to structural racism. Oh, I I 100% agree. The other day I had a friend, like she texted me, and this is the perfect example. She texted me, do you have a therapist? Uh, like she didn't want to tell anybody. I want to, I want to like get a therapist, like a marriage therapist. Do you have any? And I texted her to like four people I knew. And I'm thinking, I know four marital therapists that'll just take her tomorrow because mm-hmm. she can pay for it. And then I had another friend whose husband's battling cancer. And I, in four phone calls, got to the head of every hospital and got him like talking to every, literally just people I knew. And I'm thinking the fact that I could just do that like that, just think about that for a minute, like how the world is like working, like that I can just make a phone call and get to the head of this and that. Like, I don't even know. I it just as a friend on Facebook, I was like, oh, I'm going to try and see if she'll get, you know, whatever. I do feel like there's an access problem. It's a systemic thing. I mean, there's no denying it because how in the world am I able to do things like this? Like, I think it's insane. Yeah. Yep. Tell me, you're doing so much. You have, you know, activism and speaking and this podcast and everything you're doing. And you have your own podcast. I do. Yes, you have your own podcast. So tell me, as a single mom, but now you have a partner, how do you take care of yourself in this process? You are kind of now leading so many important things. I would think in some ways, because your things are like the things you believe in so much, it would be easy to just kind of give everything to these things because people really need you. And the work you're doing is important. So how do you take care of yourself and not kind of give everything away and not have anything left? Boundaries are super important. You know, the exercising and flexing no has been a gift for me these last few months. But I also have what's called a holy trinity, a coach, a therapist, and a healer. Oh, yeah. Therapist, coach, and healer, your holy trinity. Those are the three folks who keep me grounded and rooted in myself. My healer or spiritual guru, she reminds me of the practices to practice, to really take care of myself on a soul level. My coach keeps me accountable to my business goals and my life goals. And my therapist really helps me work on my intergenerational trauma and how to accept myself as a mom, as an entrepreneur, as a Black woman, um, explicitly naming that in a world that does not believe in my own humanity and existence. The soul care is the no boundaries, the holy trinity, taking breaks, I plan on taking the whole month of December off. Yes, good. Yeah, we're looking at the calendar now. What months can we take off? Definitely looking at July and December for sure. And looking at what does it mean to, after COVID-19, what does it mean to world school my children and just travel and teach and guide and facilitate out of the country? So yeah, that's how I take care of myself. Vacation and travel are big for me. Hiking. Yeah. Yeah. Getting ready to relocate here to Nevada. So really looking forward to being in the Red Rocks and over at Lake Mead more often. Oh, that sounds great. I feel like I'm in like LA and I feel like I've got like no nature. Like I go on a hike and there's 700 other people on the hike and they're all next to me. And I'm like, well, damn. Right. That's like, it can feel like that. I'm in the Bay Area still. And that's what it can feel like here sometimes. You're just like, I thought I was going up to to walk on myself. Where are these people? (laughs) Where are these people? Where do they come from? Can you tell my listeners, because I just feel like I want some actionable things. We're going to talk about your courses and things you offer too, but are there three things they can actively do today to be actively anti-racist? Three things that you would recommend? Absolutely. 
find you More, an ed- whatever you want. However, I know. <laughs> number one, find an educator. Find you an educator who speaks your language and follow them on social media. Join their Patreons, their membership spaces, so that you can have a sense of community. Find an educator. Find a community with by that educator. And the third thing is get actionable. Find an organization that is a movement for Black lives, like the movement for Black lives I just named, that resonates with your spirit and your heart that you want to support either financially or by volunteering your time for. Right now we're in a voting season. So what organization is speaking up for voting voter suppression? Can you go and do that and make sure that the votes aren't suppressed in this election? So yeah, find an educator, find a community. Hopefully it's a community by your educator so you're not over-consuming content by 10 different people. Educator, a community by your educator, um, and an organization that you can support either financially or by volunteering your time. Okay, well, you just brought up something that just made me think of something. So I this voter suppression and everything, I saw you post this thing and I was like, well, damn. Uh, but it, I think it was a quote someone had said and it was like, you know, here you do, you, you, you attack every black person, you kill us, and then you want us to save you at the polls and vote. Yep. And that's, I was like, that is the truest shit ever said right there. Absolutely. That's historically black women are democratic. Quiet you, kill you, quiet you, have no voice. But then in November, please come and save us at the polls. Yep. That's what happens. I mean, historically, black women has all have, have saved the election. We, we vote Democrat every time. The same group that is marginalized and killed is disproportionately and has always saved the American culture. I mean, look at how the country was built on the backs and inventions of my ancestors. A hundred percent. I was watching that debate. I could only watch so much, but I watched some and I, I had all these friends who were like, I'm disappointed. I don't like either of them. And I'm thinking to myself, I get it. Like, I know we're like tired of, of all of this in a lot of ways, but at the same time, that's part of it. If you're feeling tired and you don't want to vote, like then guess who's going to win? You have no choice. So if you're tired, then go vote. You have to think about what we all just witnessed, okay? We were all just basically emotionally abused by Donald Trump. Like this was classic narcissism 101. He's a narcissist. His supporters are codependents. And those of us who aren't sat there and watched a man demonize, like number one, what he did about, you know, we don't all have to agree about Joe Biden, but how he talked about his sons. Oh my God, I cannot. If you have had a child who has struggled with a addiction, if you grew up in addiction family, and even if you just have humanity within your heart, that had to hurt. That was a low blow. And that's what oh. abusers do. Abusers go, and as a survivor of abuse, they go for the lowest blow to tear you down so that they can break you down. And if you weren't impacted just by that statement that he talked about a man's, both of his son, one who has passed on and another who hasn't had an addiction problem. And if you're a parent, wake up. Wake up. So not only was his comment where he would not denounce white supremacy, I was not shocked by that, honestly. Just the way he kept attacking we were all just emotionally abused on that national television. And instead of us recognizing like, okay, this is a real big problem. And this is why we need to vote him out. We want to complain about, I don't even want to vote. You have the choice. Like, please vote, please. Because some of us are fighting. Some of us are on FBI watch lists for fighting for what's right. 
Some of us who are activists and advocates have our social media shadow banned. People can't see my content on Check Your Privilege because I'm shadow banned because white supremacist groups report my account and my other educator friends' accounts every single day. So the algorithm doesn't know if it should ban us or if it should let us do our thing. So we're always fighting to figure out then how do we reach the people? How do we reach the people? We're banned on social media, right? Use your power to vote. Like no more excuses. You have free choice. And that's what a privilege. It is a privilege to say, I'm tired of both of them and I'm not going to vote. And that's something that needs to be put in check. A hundred percent. I have to tell you when he was with, I remember that moment he was standing behind Hillary and she was talking and he just came up behind her and was so damn close to her and just looming over her. And I thought to myself, if I were her, I would turn around and literally punch him in the face. Like I could not believe how he was just even using his physical body to intimidate her. And she just kept talking and I'm thinking, she knows he's right there because he's not a little man. He's like tall. And I just thought to myself, then I knew, I thought, oh my God, we are in trouble. If this guy is going to run our country and this is the way he looks at women and this is the way he's treating women. And then it just got so much worse. Oh yeah. It wasn't just women. It was people of color. It was kids, people with drug addictions, people who are, who are challenged in some way. Oh my God. I just, he, he just not, does not stop. There's no, there's nothing low enough for him. Nothing. nothing No, there's nothing off limits and there's nothing low enough. Yeah. It's, it's just really sad. I've I've never seen this in in like you know you hear stories you read about it you survive it but we're seeing it and you're seeing it happen to a whole continent of people and then we see it globally and you're just like wow we have to vote there's just no other answer you have to vote and if you're voting for the other side I really want you to think about if you've ever been in an abusive relationship I want you to google narcissist and codependent relationship and you can see that that is the relationship that he has with his followers it's it's really sickening I completely agree. All right. Well, what's next? And I want to know, how can we work with you? You've got, you've got all these things. So kind of give us a little bit of a roadmap of like, how, okay, how do we work with you and what are the things? And then kind of what's next for you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, surviving this damn election. I know, right? Uh, what, what, how can you guys work with me and what's next? All right. So you guys can head over to checkyourprivilege.co. Uh, we have a monthly breaking the addiction to privilege workshop because we're looking at privilege as an addictive behavior with our weekly support group. So that happens every month, but we have workshops and courses on our website that you can sign up for. And then we have some freebies. So we have a free, what we call co-conspirators workbook. You just download it straight from the site, comes to your email. You can grab a copy of Check Your Privilege, Live Into the Work, or you can pre-order Check Your Privilege, Lean Into Discomfort. And what's next for me, a couple of conferences are coming up. So I'll be a keynote on anti-racism in November, a retreat for Brown Sisters Speak and Check Your Privilege in 2021, and really like enjoying my partner and being... Seriously, like when you've been a single mom for like 15, 16 years, it's great to think about what it means to like enjoy having a partner and what it means to enjoy having really cool and amazing children. So next for me is, you know, retreating, Retreating. (laughs) Um, (laughs) being in love, traveling, and just keep living into the work of anti-racism. Well, you deserve it. And you deserve a nice December break. So I'm glad you're going to take that break. All right. Now we're going into the speed round. 
This is this is the part of the podcast, Maisha, that okay. is actually one of my favorite parts. I'm ready. So it's a little speed round. You're just I'm going to ask you some fun things, and you're going to tell me. Okay. What is your cocktail of choice? Sex on the beach. Stop it! I haven't had that since college. I'm going to bring that. I back. know that. That's why I said it. <laughs> really have you had one recently? Um, no, I've tried to make one, and it just fails every time. Okay, I'm gonna have to bring that. We're gonna bring that back. Sex on a beach. Guess what? We're yeah. gonna do it. And now you have a hot partner, so now you can get a, get some sex. Yeah. On the beach. Um, mantra or quote that you live by? I mean, I'm sure you have a hundred, but give us one that you live by. I am doing the best I can with what I have. Ooh, that's a way to calm yourself down. I am doing the best I can with what I have. Wait, like that. What's a simple thing you do for yourself? A self care tip that we can all do? Drink some water. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, we laugh, but can I tell you, I've had three girlfriends go to the hospital. You know why? They're not drinking enough water. Mm-mm. We're all like caffeinating because we're trying to survive COVID. Well, totally. And like, I didn't realize that this hydration thing is actually a real situation. Like you can go to the hospital because you don't drink enough water. Oh wow. yeah. That's what kicked off my migraines. Oh, okay. So my girlfriend that had this, it's the migraines too. That is so, oh my gosh. So the water is the key to the migraine thing? Water too? is the key. Stay hydrated. For every cup of coffee, make sure you drink some water. With my water right here. I got to drink when I'm yeah, done. Yeah, take right now. Okay. What makes you feel unstoppable? You know what? My hair. <laughs> I love you. This is the best answer ever. Okay, okay, tell me. My locks. There's just, my like, when my hair is natural and I'm not wearing, like, any kind of pieces or extensions, I just... And you can feel your sense of power and your rootedness because for so many years, I was told that my hair was ugly. My hair was inappropriate. My hair was nappy. My hair is a root of power. You can just, there are times about every year, year and a half, I cut it all off. I'm, I'm bald and you, it just feels so amazing. I feel grounded and rooted in myself. So my hair. I love your hair. So I think that's amazing. I love it. That's the first time anyone's ever said that answer. I love that answer so much. I can't take it. Um, who do you most admire? My mom. Ooh, tell me why. You know what? She only knew what she knew raising me. And just to see her growth as I grow as a woman, as a mother, as a sister, as a partner, she has worked, I'm 38, 40 years in positions that I've watched her suffer. But she is my hero. And she does what she has to do to, to love her children and to support her children by any means necessary in a, in a world where she was raised to fight the status quo, to be silent. She was such a powerful force. She would not be pushed around. She would speak her truth. She, she's my hero. She's amazing. I am her daughter. She's I a see warrior me. woman and she gave birth, birth to a warrior woman. You got a whole warrior it, legacy happening. I do. Okay, what is exciting you the most right now? Exciting me the most right now is, oh, that's a really good one. Community. So in Strength Finders, my number one is connection. And what gives me joy in life is just community. Like that word community and really fine tuning who my community is besides the co-conspirators that I work with, but community. That, that's the word that I want to settle in with. Oh, I love that. Maisha, thank you so much for doing this with me. I know our kids are like in the background doing everything in the world. And I just really appreciate you even taking this time with me. So thank you so much. 
You're welcome. Thank you. And I can't wait for all our listeners. I'm going to put all that in the um, show notes, all your courses and your different things. And you can give me all the like information so I can put it all there. So you guys can look at these courses. And I really think they're real. Like, by the way, you make them so manageable too. Like it's like a two hour thing or a three hour thing. And if you can't show up, you can still download it. And it has a worksheet and it this and that. You make it very easy. So it's not a stressful thing. It's an easy thing that you can go and do and look into it and kind of dip your toe in and get a little deeper in and figure it all out. Because I know some of my friends maybe want to do this work and they're scared. And I just want to say, if you go to the Check Your Privilege website, you will not be intimidated. It's very, all the courses are very easy and explained and not weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. It's it's no and very well thought out. So. Absolutely. And, but if people want to go deeper, we do have like a 12 week and a six month program, but they don't launch until December while I'm on vacation. How's that going to work? If you know marketing, you know how that's going to work. <laughs> okay. Well, Maisha, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Oh my gosh, guys. Thank you so much for joining me today. Okay. Bye now. Bye. Bye.